Welcome to Regional Rights. My name is Jonathan Oates. In the early 19th century, the English radical William Cobbett wrote Rural Rights, documenting what he saw around the country, which he traversed by horse, to support his arguments against the injustices of his time. In the autumn of 2017, I set out on a motorcycle visiting all 12 regions of the main part of the United Kingdom in the British Isles, in preparation for my own effort. Where Cobbett had to rely, I presume, on memory, dip, pen and paper, I was equipped rather with a smartphone and a digital handy recorder. Presented in this series is a selection of some of my voice memos and other sounds featuring both pre-arranged and chance conversations recorded along the way. Um, this is what a bike sounds like, if it starts. And I'll uh, catch up later. Southeast England. My first regional ride was just over 125 miles from Dartford in Kent, southeast along the Kent Downs, with an overnight stop to Canterbury, and then southwest meeting the coast in East Sussex at Hastings, and on into the South Downs National Park, West Sussex, and very late in the evening, Brighton. In Canterbury I visited the city centre and spoke to Lucy, Holly and Sarah of Fenwick Limited, Kelly Napier of Catching Lives, a homelessness charity in Canterbury and East Kent, and Aaron, a budding freelance journalist. I rode northwest about 50 miles for my second regional ride, starting out in Brighton, visiting Earthship Brighton, and then crossing the South Downs and the Surrey Hills to arrive at Merrow, just outside Guildford, where I would stay with family friends. In Brighton I visited the Palace Pier first thing and then the city centre where I spoke to Benjamin, a student at work in a coffee shop. I eventually found the Low Carbon Trust's Earthship Brighton and spent an hour at the site in Stanmer Park. Built in part as a community centre for use by Stanmer Organics, the building was the first Earthship to be built in England it's completely off-grid, exploiting solar energy, rainwater harvesting and on-site wastewater treatment. Construction commenced in 2003 and was completed in 2006. For my final regional ride, the third in south-east England and the 36th overall, I did not attempt the round trip to Oxfordshire that I had expected I might after not hearing back from the campaign for real farming. Instead, I just rode the few miles into Guildford and spent a few hours in the centre of what is my place of birth. Note that in what follows, whilst my progress through the region can be heard during the episode, the conversations have not been presented strictly chronologically. I'm just arriving at uh, 
Dunkirk Services, finally, after learning why we call it Round the Houses. The closure of the A2 for resurfacing complicated matters. I uh, managed to speak to Phil, I think he said his name was, at the first services I uh, bailed off the motorway at, thinking that would be it. He said their uh, schedule is to lay 500 tonnes of asphalt a night. I was saying it seems to be quite a large operation, um, thinking about the number of trucks and crew in evidence. don't know how many exactly, but it seemed like 20 in, in retrospect. Here I come, Canterbury, uh, home of turbulent priest Thomas Beckett. sound of Canterbury. Road traffic. Uh, the part of the city I've come into is totally dominated by the walls. Uh, flinty walls, very high, maybe uh, 10 metre high walls with, with um, turrets at intervals. I can see a signpost now, a finger post, with uh, signs to the cathedral right, St Augustine's Abbey left, uh, Canterbury Christchurch University left, city centre right. There's a gaggle of uh, tourists bemused by an old red phone box just in front of me. I just had a little chat with some of the Canterbury, three of the 65 Canterbury makers. Um, they are operating out of a site in, in one of the main squares here, which I think is um, a pop-up arrangement. They say they've been at it for four to five years. Um, they both make things and then do a shift, take turns and do shifts to staff the Shop. One hour only, you can have something for a pound. Who's got any stories of pound point? Come with a pound point, come on. Walking now towards the uh, cathedral. Oh, there it is. Uh, it's it has loomed out of Butchery Lane. The cathedral, or its owner, wants. Uh, £12.50 for admission. He said he used to earn money as a bare-knuckle fighter. Uh, he was obviously pretty good because his, uh, his face is uh, not too uh, out of shape. Um, he, then, um, he then struggled hard to get a degree and he said he had enough support services of various kinds to help him. He said he found it a really difficult thing to do, but he got it and he became uh, an educator. And in fact, I think that's what he was doing most recently. Uh, he was running some sort of center to help uh, youngsters in particular who are in trouble, people on the fringes of society and so on. He was running a center where people could come and um, get company instruction, help with services, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he uh, he said the funding stream from government was 
cut. He said it broke his heart having to go around to all his clients um, telling them that he couldn't continue anymore. And he, I think, probably tried to step into the breach by remortgaging his house. And uh, eventually it came to a halt and he lost his home. And that is how I found him um, sitting outside the shop. I did, however, um, meet a goddess priestess. There seemed to be quite a lot of people actually um, with, a, with a kind of spirituality which was their own. And uh, she said, for example, a lot of people believe in angels and have a relationship with angels of various kinds. And a large part of our conversation was around what she thought, felt was, was the greater consciousness, we're part of a greater consciousness, and the need for the feminine side to, to come to the fore or come out rather than this male patriarchal side, which she feels is partly to do with, with the histories of organized religions and the idea of you know, a very patriarchal male god. I think she, she said, um, I can't remember whether she said the earth or the cosmos, but she is anxious and wants us to sort things out in a nice way, uh, or, or they'll be sorted out in another way. What, I'm, what are we going to hear? We're going to hear Kentish accents, yes? Yeah. Yeah. You said Gravesend? Gravesend, yeah. I have a bit of a mix of an accent because I was born in Canterbury, but my family are all from up north. Yeah. Yeah. So people always say to me, well, my, my granddad's like Stoke, Stoke-on-Trent. That's not yeah. up north. Well, ish. <laughs> Midlands. I think we both are remarkably well. Yeah. I've established that you're all kind of from around here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I asked you, how much has it changed? Has it changed? Has it changed for the better? I think, yeah, I think, in some it aspects, I think yeah. it's busier, it's definitely busier. I mean, yeah. it's always been a busy city anyway. There's lots of tourists and yeah. students everywhere and things. So it's always been a very busy city. But I think this is just not just in Canterbury, but in general, they haven't allowed the roads any bigger for the amount of yeah, cars that's on the road. Because the traffic in Canterbury is horrendous. Yeah, it, is it doesn't horrendous. matter what day, what time of the one, day, it's one always road busy. Snarls up, they all snarl up. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I've lived here five years now. And I, I, I do love Canterbury, though. Like, yeah. It's my There's a lot place. going on. Yeah. And I think it's always busy. There's always like the hustle and bustle, because I think it is like a city, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah it's not quiet, which yeah. is good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, think, I think it's been slightly overdeveloped, though, in some parts. Do you not think? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's there's a fine balance between retaining like the character of a cathedral city yeah. and like overdeveloping yeah. with luxury penthouse apartments to the point where local people can't Too expensive. to get a house. Like if I want to move out, I, I can't move out into Canterbury. I have to go into surrounding villages 
So you're commuting in for people commuting in Bakar, is that the main is that the reason the traffic? I live in the high street, so I'm quite lucky. You can just walk to work. Yeah, 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 so my I've got a house um, literally about ten minutes down there, but I've been quite lucky to to get a good yeah, good deal on my house. Like my landlord's brilliant, but I mean other people that live in my complex pay like twelve hundred pounds a month for like a two bedroom house. Yeah, so it's very expensive. Yeah, they're building a lot, but not necessarily... Not necessarily the houses that people need. Not to no. the open market, I don't think. I think it's like a niche market. It's like people that have got money, people that... Yeah. Young can So you have that with a lot of people, I think, as well. They, they, you know, they might be from London, or they work in London, and they have this... Yeah, we call them DFL yeah. down from London. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. in Whitstable. Catching right. lives, yeah, that's right. We're a homeless day centre in Canterbury. Yeah. Um, and is that the main function of the... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it gives them what? What happens? What is it? It's open with? from eight thirty in the morning until two p.m. in the afternoon for clients to access. They can come and have breakfast and yeah. lunch. Yeah. They can wash their clothes. They can have a shower. They yeah. can access mental health services. They can also access a nurse service as well. That sounds rather good. It is. It's a fantastic little one-stop shop and, yeah. and provides an, a great amount of help to the community. Yeah. How uh, long has it been here? Over 20 years now, yeah. I think. So it's really well established. You know that? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly either. Yeah. It's very well established, yeah. yeah. It's been it's an independent yeah. charity. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrestle myself with, you know, should charity need to exist? Well, essentially, we should be there to exist to put ourselves out of business, shouldn't we? That's, yes. that's yeah. ultimately what yeah. we should be doing and striving for. Yeah. But the numbers are increasing dramatically year on year, so that's not going to happen. This is what I've been hearing all, all around the country, yeah. and from professionals as mm -hmm. well as from the homeless themselves. Mm -hmm. Locals can see, can yeah. sense what's going on. Yeah, it's a dire picture. Unless yeah. people start building houses, nothing's going to change either. And these things are only going to get worse because of the benefit reform that's coming up with universal credit, where you're actually giving everybody their entire money for a month and expecting them to pay their bills. When people have had mental health issues that struggle with that, there's going to be evicted. Yeah. So yeah. it's just this vicious circle at yeah. the moment. What we do as well, we use Campaign Kent, which is a community interest company, right. and they oh, will, will yeah. talk to, I'm the director of that, yeah. we talk to clients and take evidence and impact statements from them and then we identify trends in what's going on in our area oh, and then we campaign against yeah. those. One of the big par um, partnership campaigns that we've got going on with Catching Lives at the moment is prison release to street homelessness and the ridiculousness of that and how much money it costs our community to have this recidivism all the time and it doesn't solve anything, It just yeah. the costs just get greater and greater, yeah. the prisons get fuller and fuller and actually putting somebody with, who is stealing for need rather than greed, although it's still law-breaking, when you've got somebody who's taking heroin prolifically, for example, they're stealing because they need to get a fix. Rather than putting those people in prison, detoxing them and then letting them out after a short period of time with money and a travel warrant back to their dealer's postcode, what you could do is put them in rehab. It would save money because it's cheaper than prison in the long run. <laughs> It's not rocket science, really. Doesn't sound terribly complicated, does it? Doesn't, does it? But yeah. the resources say no. So that's something that we're campaigning about at the moment. And also about discharge from hospitals, be it mental health hospital or physical health hospitals, to street homelessness. Yeah. And that happens an awful lot here. Yeah. So they're two of the main campaigns. So I'm a, I want to be a political journalist. Yeah. And that's not what you've been trained to do yet is it? No, not specifically. It's not the path you follow necessarily. I, I studied psychology and criminology at 
uh, Canterbury Christchurch University in Canterbury. Uh, Are you from Canterbury originally? No, I'm from Essex originally. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, I was born in Colchester, uh, it's the oldest recorded town in Britain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I came here eight years ago to study. Um, and it clung on to you? Yeah, Canterbury. like me with Bath. Canterbury's a place that stays in your heart when you live here. I mean, there's so many people, there's a lot of people who come here to study and stay after their studies. Yeah. It's a city, so it has a lot of vibrancy. But it's more on a, on a town scale, so it has the friendliness of a town, the vibrancy mm. of a city. Yeah. There's an interesting social dynamic here because although it's a city, and in cities you tend to get uh, like um, segregation because people go into their own uh, social groups. Yeah. But you've got a constant tide of students coming in and out here, so it keeps it fresh, and people live in very diverse. Environments. Does students. that mean when you walk into a place like this, you'll find quite a good cross section of yeah. people? Yeah, the, the Bishop's Finger is more of a locals pub than a student pub. Yeah. But there's plenty of pubs in town which students frequent. Uh, and obviously, you get different pubs. Like the Seven Stars is known as being a bit one of the rougher pubs where you have the people from uh, the underclass, if I can use that word. Yeah. Uh, More deprived sections of the yeah, yeah. area. Uh, and uh, it's a sports bar as well, so you've got the lads on tour sort of yeah. mentality. But in general, in the pubs and bars here, I've noticed that it's, it's very friendly. I've made 90% of my friends in smoking areas. I noticed to myself a few years ago when I went home to Colchester, if you go up to someone and try and speak to them in a smoking area, they think you want to fight. Because in my hometown, if someone asks you for a lighter, that's an invite for a fight. But here, it's like, yeah, sure, bro. Like, yeah, have <laughs> I fell in love with a Dutch girl. Uh, fell in love with Europe as a result of that. And I want to move to Europe to be close to Brussels. You're in Europe. Geographically, <laughs> but culturally and politically, maybe not. Uh, uh, so, um, my idea was that I would work in hospitality, good, good hospitality, so I'd be able to pay for myself yeah. to be able to move to Europe. Because if you want to be an independent journalist, then you need some kind of income. For the last four, four years, I ended up working at a four-star hotel, the Abode Hotel in Canterbury. I ended up working my way up to bar supervisor and uh, fell in love with making cocktails. Um, <laughs> I'm told that I'm one of the best bartenders in Canterbury. Hmm. Ended up managing a bar. It consumes your time, and when you go what home. What the hours typically of a? Uh, well, on the weekdays when I was working at, uh, well, the abode is it fluctuates, but it's generally about 50 hours a week on sociable hours. 50. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big number, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then at Teatro's, I was working uh, from two till. Uh, midnight each weekday and possibly like two till or midday till uh, midday till one on uh, Fridays and Saturdays. So quite an onerous yeah. working life because I think you said you wanted to write about the homeless uh, homelessness in general maybe and particularly yeah. in the local area. I'm familiar with a few of them. There's Warren uh, who I've been speaking with uh, for about a year or more. Uh, he told me the other day that it, doctors only gave him a year to live. 
I'm a Hare Krishna now, that's something that really helped to save me from uh, abusing drugs and alcohol in the, and also moving away from the position that I had. The meditation I found really helpful to deal with depression and mm. all this sort of thing. Mm. I've been trying to encourage him to, to join me uh, to try and meditate because there's not many things that's going to stop a lifelong alcoholic from, yeah. from killing themselves and he's only got a year left apparently. Uh, and one thing that piqued my interest was the a prolific number of, uh, of homeless people in Canterbury and how it's ignored. It's a porch light is massively overworked and also it hasn't been covered properly. I've seen one or what's, two. What's massively overworked? The uh, sorry, porch light, which is a, a charity which helps to okay. uh, porch light and no, sorry, catching lives. Porch light is the hostel yeah. and catching lives, hands up, free food. So they're basically hostels. struggling with a problem, which is which is what Kelly was saying, which yeah. is just many times their yeah. their size. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an extremely windy day and uh, lots of water in the air and uh, the partitioning that runs down the middle in the first part of the pier is uh, acting as a windbreak. That's why you can hear me. Um, looking out towards Madeira Drive, which I first knew as a kid, uh, I think um, Dad, I can't remember exactly, I think Dad took myself and possibly my brother, possibly my mum. I can't, I can't really remember much about the trip except seeing a blue Honda CB900, I think, a CBX1000 on the way down there. And then I've got vague memories of, I think, a 9-litre 1920s or 30s Bentley amongst a number of Bentleys, various other things. I think there was a Kawasaki sidecar outfit and other things doing the standing quarter of a mile along Madeira Drive, which I think still takes place annually. Tom, who lives in London normally and is working uh, in Brighton today, says what it boils down to is know thyself. People need to realise that they are as important as anyone else. Uh, the only people, he said, that can that can give you equality is yourself. Struggling to find Earthship Brighton, uh, I kind of assumed it would be in Stanmer Park, the turn off to Stanmer Park. Nope. Uh, then I found one of the campuses of the University of Sussex, asked about three or four students, no one's heard of it. Uh, then I tried a bus driver coming up into the campus. Nope, he hasn't heard of it. Try a cab driver, he said. And now I've come down the A27, now it's turned into the A27, and I've stopped. And neither the, neither the guy on the counter at the moment, nor his colleague, have heard of Earthwatch, uh, Earthship, Brighton. Sitting in the uh, porch area of the Earthship, Brighton, finally found it. Uh, in fact, two women had visited it themselves and were just locking up, shutting the gate to the access way. I've, I've walked up it because they were asked to leave it locked. And uh, I can't get in and there's no one here at the site. So all in all, it's, um, 
it strikes me, given its significance, at least, at least the motive, part of the motivation for building it, the state of the world, the Earth system, and how we thinking about how we need practically to respond to it. It's bizarrely off off the map. No no locals or barely any locals that I've spoken to were aware of it or knew what it was. Just just one, if you remember, Claire, who I bumped into at a farm shop, and uh, no no brown signs of any sort. Just a sign for Stanmore Organics, which seems to be one of a number of small concerns, all with a similar ethos I would say sighted it down this access way I'll take a photo of some of the others some permaculture sites an ecotherapy site uh, Stanmore Organics itself which I would guess is doing something along the lines of Northeast Organics Northeast Organic Growers where I met Phil the site has a nice feel even though it's a pretty dreary day uh, and it's deserted except for me, but it has that kind of a, a feeling about it, um, very easy feeling, comfortable, it's, I'll read up about it, but it's built, I think, into a bank of the ground, it backs into the ground in effect, which I suspect faces north, and it um, is quite open to the I presume the southern face. Indeed, I can see a, a break in the cloud uh, in that direction, and it seems to be quite sunny over there, so that would suggest it's southerly. Um, and the materials around you are, are wood, earth, this um, stone. I don't know what it is, I'll have to read up about it. Plants, planting throughout the house, as well as outside, of course, a sort of inside-out feeling. And uh, although it seems to be set up as a community centre rather than a, than a home, you can see how it would make for an extremely comfortable uh, dwelling. I don't know whether earthships are uh, the answer, or whether they serve better as sort of um, demonstrations rather than a mode of building that can be adopted on a large scale. I spoke to my mum, she said to me that was quite relevant and hit the nail on the head. She said, back in when my nan was younger, mortgages were being handed out, everything was sort of like on the up, you know, people getting mortgages, it was easy to buy, things were reasonably priced. Now, people are working every hour under the sun and getting paid half the wages. So people are really struggling, you know, we've got poverty in a country we shouldn't even have poverty in. So that's where, that's where the issues are, really. I think we can make things better. Um, I think as a collective consciousness, I think like, you know, we can kind of, people do wake up to it and people aren't, you know, sort of plodding along and asleep. Right, like more, okay, this is actually going on our world, I need to kind of address these issues. Then I think, yeah, we can make a change, but I think it shouldn't be done with any sort of like anger or, 
you know, yeah, riots or protests. It should be done with like a peaceful movement mm. and things like yeah. that. Intelligent, so, organised. Yeah, and that's how it's because all of that's all it is at the moment. Hate. It's like hate crimes. I think it starts at the very foundation of it all. Is breaking down the stigma. Yeah. Even if it's as simple as walking down the street, you see a homeless person. Mm. Somebody might not want to give to that person because they're water people. Go, oh, they're, they're, it's their own fault. They're on the street. They're drinking. They've got drugs. And that's quite often not the case at all. They could be, you know, an ex-veteran who served in the service, has come back and got nothing, and through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. And once you start to break that down, I think we are getting better as you see that younger generations influencing things. People look at things with a more empathetic approach, I think. You, sure. you think the young are having a positive um, oh, definitely. effect? Oh, I think, uh, give it 20 years. And I think a lot will have changed for the better. People are sick of getting paid next to nothing for working all the hours yeah. on the sun. I think mm. with our NHS and all our sort of government funding things, I think it's all just very wrong. Mm. Um, yeah. how, it's all, how it's all done. I think there will be a change, but there'll only be a change if people sort of come together. Wake up, listen. I think you need to be, you need to keep yourself aware. If I think if the government had their way, we'd be like mushrooms. They'd keep us in the dark and yeah. just occasionally shovel some shit on us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, there should be a day centre in every town, I believe. Yeah, so there's, for example, if you're... Or support in yeah. every town. So that, so this is doing things that the legal structure provides for, mm -hmm. provided people Have want money. to do it and put resources Absolutely. into it. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So you can provide all these services to the homeless, but you can't give them a place to sleep the night. That's, no, that's, that's there are by no definition, overnight problem, shelters yeah? in Kent. There are zero Nothing overnight shelters. No, is that unless something it is between yeah. the 1st of December and the 28th of February, and that's when the churches come together and put the winter night shelters on. Ah, okay. So that nobody so it's has a night out. Effect, yeah, it? absolutely. It's mm. a winter night shelter. That's all it's for. Yeah. There are no day centres in Kent. Yeah. Uh, sorry, there are no night, night shelters yeah. in Kent yeah. at all. It's still inadequate. It's inadequate until people start building houses. This is it always comes back to that, yeah. It, that's, you know, it, we can do whatever we can do. would say that by rights people ought to have a home. Absolutely, I agree with that. As a moral yeah. principle. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is that they're now talking about housing first, which is a new concept where you put people in a house before anything else happens. So that they're safe and they have an environment and they're able to engage in certain mental health programs and things like that. Yes. But you have to have the resources around that housing first that has to be strong and it has to be nurtured and it also has to have an awful lot of money put into it. And then you can build communities of practice for people so that everybody knows exactly what they're doing and the pathway is very clear. So I'm not, I'm not clear about that. So housing first is what? Housing first is a new concept. Well, it's not a new concept. It's a concept that's being brought into the realms of local authorities at the moment whereby yeah. people are given a property first. Right. Whereas before you had to jump through fiery hoops and get your mental yeah. health sorted yeah. and all the rest of yeah. it and make all these changes. Yeah. Which is Which nonsense, is ridiculous. Yeah. When it's, it's a government policy model. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because everyone's going, oh, this is brilliant, everyone's going to have a home. Yeah. But you've just heard that there's a guy out on the street that I was just talking to then who's been homeless for nine years and he goes and sleeps rough at night sometimes because he can't deal with being in his home. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there has to be that level of support yeah. once somebody is accommodated. This is what Simone I spoke to who's homeless in... Um in Cambridge, said mm. he's, she said, uh, I, mean, I think she said it's disgusting that people are left out here so long that they find it hard to actually go into a home. It's if like one being institutionalised. Yeah. 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 And how bizarre is that? Well, it's, in it's in what year are we in? Yeah, it's you know, yeah, it's crazy. One thing that really 
intrigued or one thing that drove me to want to write politically was my criminology studies uh, I knew a small amount of reading I realised how crooked the system is and how slanted our media system is so, uh, like for, for example one thing I remember reading was um, so I might have to figure slightly off a little yeah, bit but in the, same, in, in the same year as a rough approximation 1.5 billion is is the uh, is the amount of cost incurred by benefit fraud 105 billion is the amount of uh, cost incurred by corporate fraud but who do you hear about you hear about the scroungers on the street not the businessmen who are raping society by filling their own pockets mm. we'd say no magic money tree really really but billions to give to the DUB but you can't pay a nurse enough to pay her bills yeah I, my original intention was to become a police officer, but I thought my hands would be tied by the lack of budget and the system that we're... Is that through. something you began to understand through your criminology yeah. studies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very much an interest for me to see the way that the media uh, paints, uh, encourages us to fear so we don't question. Uh, and Fear as a control yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. One in five Muslims are ex extremists or something like that. That was a sun, a sun front page. One in five Muslims, really? Where did you get? Where did you pluck that statistic from? The Mark Twain said, uh, "Lies, damn lies, and then statistics." It sickens me to look. I remember feeling that when I was reading it. It's, this information's all here, but again, it's restricted. It says Aaron Schwartz killed himself because he. I think it was Aaron Schwartz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he distributed, uh, well if you know the story, I don't know whether you want me to yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah, 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 it's all, uh, all good uh, stuff. I can't remember the name, was it Reddit? Was he behind Reddit? I'm, I think so. One of the yeah. big social media uh, news he, platforms. He made, uh, illegally, uh, made JSTOR and all the big archives public source, like millions of different journal, arti journal articles. Hmm. And those archive companies didn't want him to be prosecuted, they were happy to let it go, but it was the, the US federal government that wanted to push for him to have a life sentence in prison. Uh, what does that say about the philosophy or the approach of a, a government or what they want? Uh, and you're going to be sent to life for that, and he ended up killing himself as a result. Yeah. It's called BIM, so it stands for the British Institute of Modern Music. Mm. Um, so basically, I'm, in, I'm now in my third year, yeah. and they basically prep you up throughout the years um, for, like for your particular instruments. So because I'm doing percussion and drums, uh, they'll sort of bring in guests that are like supposed to inspire you and teach you how they've sort of weaved their way into the music industry, yeah. the music business, yeah. as well as like learning uh, like about the music business, you know, like publishing and record deals, yeah. uh, A&R, um, just how it all works and yeah. the history of... So it's not just about mastering... Yeah, it's not just ma uh, it's, like It's about yeah. making so, your way in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a scary thought now I'm in third year because there's not very much playing and it's all about like, what are you now going to do? After what? What are you going to make happen? What's your desire? Is their term or semester structure the same as university? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get the same course as a. I get the same qualification yeah. as a university. And are degree. you? Um, 
Are you in in debt to do this? Are you borrowing like many oh, yeah. students are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why I'm in this job as well. It can't even fund that. I, I was going to say, um, yeah. it's a full-time course, yeah? Yeah, full-time. But you're working here on a, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday and Saturday. It's 11.30-ish. Yeah. So you're working, what, two days a week? Two days a week now, and then in, in the, like, so we just came back from the summer holidays. Yeah. And I worked, like, throughout over full-time, almost. Yeah, so yeah, you really yeah. packed in a lot of hours to yeah, yeah. put some money away. Yeah, and yeah. That, that funded, like, a, you know, a computer, because my computer broke, and... You know, it's still only just about sort of topped me up. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think you're going to come out of, um, apart from your qualification mm. with your knowledge and all the rest of it, mm. in terms of finance, what do you think the figure will be by the time you uh, exit? Probably like 35 to 40 plus. Yeah, I would yeah. be surprised. Um, and how do you feel about that? It's, it's quite like um, really hard to put into perspective because it's essentially I've just got like money, you know, I'll get like a loan coming in every term and for us that's just something, you know, a lot of people just spend and they don't even consider where that's come from. Um, for me it's a different, uh, I think about it differently because it has to fund my house, it has to fund like the bare minimum. Where does it actually go? Uh, so it goes, for me anyway, uh, it goes straight on to house rent, um, bills, um, you know, food, food and Just living like costs, that. really? Yeah, and then not like... Not living it up costs. Living not costs. living it up costs, yeah, yeah. I've just given my sleeping bag and roll mat to Phil, who's sleeping rough at the moment, says his ex-heroin um, ex user is trying to avoid going into a night shelter and host a local agency supporting, I think it's an outreach team, supporting people in his position, are trying to facilitate his entry into permanent accommodation. Uh, he fears, as they do, that if he goes into a night shelter, the um, opportunities and pressures to use heroin will uh, prove too much. I can see the some of the North Downs uh, in what is a very familiar view to people in this part of the world, looking down um, the high street and seeing uh, the clock jutting out from the right-hand side uh, and the North Downs behind it. All very pleasant. I'm stood opposite the Holy Trinity Church, uh, at which there are some drunks sitting in front of um, boozing. I've just managed to see Daniel, um, a big issue seller who I've come to know and recognise. Just spoke to Helen and a few others who are employees of Knight Frank, the estate agent. Uh, you'll see a photo, I think, of uh, them doing something they do annually, doing a charity uh, bake sale, I think, proceeds to three or four. Uh, select charities. I told them a little bit about what I was doing, Helen in particular, and um, she said, what do you think of Guildford? And I thought about it and I thought, well, I suppose it fits the pattern of most places um, presenting with the same sort of characteristics. 
in, in as much as, and then I illustrated it, I said, well, you're working for Knight Frank. The properties you sell here are towards the top, and I didn't even get to the end of that sentence. She said, yes, yeah, 600,000 and up. And I said, yet I could quite easily walk you five minutes down there to meet Daniel or Phil, whom I have just spoken to, who are on the streets. Um, or we could, I haven't met them, but we could go and talk to the drunks I've just passed sitting at Trinity Church. And she was nodding and saying, yes, it's uh, terribly sad. But um, I'm just about um, out of steam. And I think this, this place sits, it does, I know, at the foot of a hill at the top of which I was born. One thing that attracted me to moving to Europe is because I don't feel like they're so live and let die. There's more of a tone of socialism there, uh, more of a, a, social, uh, net, uh, a social support network there. Uh, it's more rehabilitative towards criminals and that sort of thing. I always have called and still call Britain uh, America's little cousin. Uh, it's, it's not quite as extreme. Uh, you're not having uh, prisoners making uh, like free free labour in prisons, making license plates and stuff like that. But there is this is the capitalist hub of of Europe. Uh, so I would say that we do have a tone of live and let die. Definitely, we still have some support networks like the NHS, but that's constantly being eroded. I don't think we have long left to sort ourselves out on the planet. Uh, if we keep going the way that we are, the people who run, who own the machines, uh, are so consumed by their own egos, they don't care. I, you, only until every last tree is gone is you realise that you can't breathe banknotes. Uh, so, I, I don't, they even they don't even know that they're killing themselves. I think because they're so consumed by their greed. Uh, so I would say that we're very much in an emergency situation. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, or maybe not in 20, 30, 50 years. But if we if we don't change the codes of practice that we have and this utter dogmatic. Uh, approval of, of capitalism and the free market and the idea of allowing companies to do whatever they want because it's you have to have the free market to have competition and all this kind of thing. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to, to sustain it. Capitalism has become has become its own entity now. It's capital is, is for capital's sake. It's not for the benefic, benefit of the individual. It, is for, it's, it feeds itself now. In university accommodation. Oh yeah, yeah, and the building thereof still. Yeah, huge construction work, mm. and the advertisements for you know come and live here. I keep checking this because I'm worried it's messed up. Yeah, yeah. Come and live here, only 140 pounds a week. It's crazy. Yeah, and like you know, I'd like to bring up the fact that like students are the peasants of nowadays almost. The way that like everyone looks at you, the estate agents, the government, like. Even like jobs around here, it's hard to get a part-time job because they just, you know, they've got ideologies of what students represent and, you know, they might be lazy, they might not be able to like uh, commit to certain hours, so it's hard to get a job as well. And like, but I would say a tough one is estate agents. They literally like, 
put you at the bottom. They'll take your phone call and, you know, you'll, you'll tell them everything that's wrong about the house. When you've moved in, the oven might not work. For me, the mm. oven didn't work. Mm. The shower thing, didn't yeah. work. Um, we didn't have keys for our own bedroom, so if they shut, they would lock and we'd be stuck outside. And it took them about two weeks to, like, sort these out. We had to get by just by using, you know, it's doable by using a hob and have, like, a coldish shower. But it was, you know, the way, I don't know, there's no urgency for students at all. And the housing prices here especially just rises in five or ten pounds every year just because they can yeah. um so you seem like quite a chilled person but are you uh, are you worried about the future or totally i mean like um but I, i'm quite like an introvert where i can like dig down and suddenly get to a point where it's like actually you know it's technically out of my hands. What move do I make? Uh, you know, where do I buy my food? How much do I spend on when I'm in such a like a, you know, this the student life is very like poor. Well, for many for many of us, so it's like you know, in material terms, in material terms, but like also like groceries and like just living standards. It's like you know, you want to be able to buy biodynamic eggs, but they're going to cost one pound fifty more. And it's like, oh my god, I, it's right there. I want to be a part of that, but like, maybe I only have like 15 pounds a week to really budget on. Like, if you're gonna try yep. and get down to it. Yeah. Um, but I th- I've always thought, like, you know, me and my partner, we've always thought that like the best protest is maybe just like actually doing something, getting on with it. So somewhere where you're going, uh, in Stamina Park, um, there's this place called Stamina Organics where you can like volunteer. Stamina, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we go there most Thursday mornings till 3 p.m. to like, you know, just help out. And it's it's part of the old tree sustainable, self-sustainable place. See Um, the picture. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think like, you know, composting and like, uh, growing your own food in the garden if it's possible. Yeah. You no, know, these are just small things that yeah. like people need to not only just do but like being back in touch with because yeah. there's a lack of like even knowing what happens to your food and what's happening like politically as well. the Southeast England episode of Regional Rides. I'd like to thank Lucy, Holly and Sarah of Fennec Limited, Kelly Napier of Catching Lives, Aaron and Benjamin for their contribution. I'd like to thank Jean and David for their hospitality and I'd also like to thank all those who helped along the way. The complete collection of photographic and recorded material is now accessible online at www.jonathanoates.net. I'm working on a short manuscript for an illustrated e-book and will publish it serially on the website as I complete it.
Access to my content is free on a pay-as-you-feel basis. If you have found the project enjoyable or instructive, any help would be much appreciated. Go to the website for details. I can be reached at jonathanoates74 at gmail.com.